So I'm going to read this through. I'm going to, we're going to be thinking about what, what story, what story does the Apostle Paul tell? What story are we living under? Because if we're going to embrace the call to be an ambassador, as we are, an ambassador is somebody who is familiar with the country that they're in, representing their home nation. Where is our home nation? We see that in the end of the Bible. Revelation, heaven. No sickness there, no COVID, no pain, no relational breakdown. That's home for us. And all of humanity is in exile, slightly estranged from God. So what is the story that you and I are listening to? And I'm going to share that with um, a personal story, I think. That's what I think I've been sensed I should do. So um, let us read Acts chapter 13. It's quite a long one. We're just going to drill down a couple of verses, but it's good to get the feel of the whole thing. You guys okay? You sure? You okay in the balcony? Fantastic. Praise the Lord. You're closer to Jesus up there, okay? In Pisidian Antioch, chapter 13, verse 13, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. They'd been a bust-up, folks. And from Perga, they went to Pisidian Antioch on the Sabbath. They entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. We should speak like that more in church, right? <laughs> Alan, if you've got a word of exhortation, get on here, son. Let's hear it. There you go. Okay, that didn't work either. Let's press on. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Just listen to these verses here. 
But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it's written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I've become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay, as God has said. I will give you, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it's also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised up from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, you wander and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Okay. Wow. There you go. It's a long one, folks. Well done. You have stayed with us. I think everybody's still awake. Okay. Stories. I wanted to introduce you here to my classic Dyson DC-04 vacuum cleaner. It's an absolute... <laughs> Steady now. You'll embarrass it. And... Um, Bought for us in 20, 2004, I think it was, folks. 2004. I'm not going to ask how old some of you were back then because that will make me feel very old. But, folks, it has been a legendary vacuum cleaner. If I'd thought about it, I would have got rid of the dust. That's just to add a sense of authenticity to the occasion. About 10 years in, we were living, we we're missionaries to the south in Cambridge. And if you've been to Cambridge, you'll know that it's got some mean streets there, folks. It's pretty rough. You've got to have you know, eyes in the back of your head, you really have when you're walking around there. About 10 years in, the, we had a dog at the time, Archie, our black Labrador. He died in the summer. Let's have a minute's silence. It still pains me now. And um, we would hoover the house, and this was brilliant. Except a couple of, we began to notice as we were hoovering, it would leave a trail of dust behind. And you don't want that in a vacuum cleaner, do you? You don't want it putting out more dust than it's supposed to be collecting. That is not the purpose of a vacuum cleaner. And so it's about 10 years old, and we thought, right, is it time to get rid of it? And we said it in hushed tones, not to offend it, because it's been faithful to us. For t we, have we got problems? We just don't like to offend the vacuum cleaner, because it was leaving dust, folks, on the floor. Didn't offend it anymore. So we thought, well, let's just get rid of it, because that's what you do, isn't it? Because nothing really lasts forever, does it? So we thought, well, shall we get rid of it? I once read about something called the theory of planned obsolescence. Anybody know about the theory of planned obsolescence? Okay, there's a couple of people who do, so I better be careful what I say. Because I just found it on Wikipedia, so who knows? Works like this, that a, a company will make a product, and they'll in-build the engineering of it and the design that it only lasts for a certain amount of time. This is all the rage in the 1930s, during the American Depression. 
And the idea was that if a product would last for a season of time, it would break. And what do you do? We have to go and buy another one. And that would help keep the economy going. It was only, um, and this is a, a geeky fact for you folks, free tonight, ladies and gentlemen. It was only companies like Volkswagen who said, we're not going to do that, which is why you still see those, I love them dearly, why you still see some absolute classics still on the road. We won't talk about the diesel scandal of years ago. Now, you see, if you've watched the Mad Men, anybody watch Mad Men here? Okay, it's a few, I'm showing my age. I think it's a great show. But it's about marketing executives in the 1960s. And you see, what happened was that as products were manufactured to last for a certain time and would be made again so that you part with your, your dollar to go and get more, marketeers started to say, if we started to tell a story and if we can create dissatisfaction in people about their lives and if we can appeal to people's sense of desire, then we can create a story around a product. Most products that we buy now have names. My phone has a name. Not like Bob. I mean, as in, it's called an iPhone. Where does that come from? It's kind of reflected that you and I have names given to us by God. Now products have names. And products last for a season and a better one comes out. And somebody, tells, we see a video that's kind of is designed to make us think my life will be better if I had that upgraded Dyson. You know, like the ones now, because these days, folks, this is really old because this has something called a wire at the back and a plug and you have to plug it in. But these days, you know, you plug them in, they have a battery. It is amazing. And those adverts come along and they make you think, I think my life would just be better. I think I'd look better in front of my friends if I had that latest thing. And they got you. Appeal to a sense of desire. Anthropologists tell us that we are all living from some kind of story about ourselves. What is the story that is defining us? We live in an age now, when I did that research about theory of planned obsolescence, you would test how successful an advertising campaign was by how many sales that it generated. Now through social media, they test how your behavior has changed. Just through the algorithms on your phone. It's pretty scary stuff. And I love social media. I do. I'm just kind of wise now about how much I use it and how much it changes me because I'm not sure I'm totally in control of it, if I'm honest. And I'm not sure we are either. But this isn't a talk about social media. That's a whole other conversation for another time. You see, the Apostle Paul in Pisidian Antioch in Galatia has arrived with Barnabas, and he's in going to, you see, a strategy he has is to seek out people of peace. And people of peace, the people who are open to him, people of peace to him in that moment are people who share his faith or have shared faith. For him, that's people who are Jewish. In that congregation, in that synagogue, they're meeting on the Shabbat, on the Saturday, the Sabbath, and they walk in. Maybe they're wearing particular clothes, but people think these guys look fairly holy people. They look a bit like Alan Ward. Sarah Carroll, they look like they know what they're doing. And as is the custom, they say, guys, come and, take, come and take the stage. They stand for a bit and then they sit, as is the posture of the day. And they begin to tell a story 
And the story is connecting into the story of the people of God through the beginning of time, through the Exodus, through Moses, through David, and then on to Jesus. And as people are listening, they're like, yeah, we, we knew that a saviour would come one day. And he, and he begins to track this narrative around Jesus. And then he begins to talk about the death and his resurrection. And he labours that point around resurrection. And the amazing thing about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13 is he talks about the resurrection as absolute unequivocal fact. He's not ashamed of the resurrection. He's not ashamed about speaking about it. He talks about his absolute cast iron fact. Why is that? Because, folks, in Acts chapter 9, the resurrected Jesus appears to Saul. Saul's name gets changed to Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paulus is his Roman variation of his name. In Acts chapter 9, verse 4, it says this, He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Adonai, this is a Hebrew, that sense of respect, Saul asked. This is what he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The risen Jesus appeals and appears to Saul. If you look at your story and think there is no way God could God use everybody else, but God, you can never use me because you don't know what I've done in my past. God, you don't know what I did on Friday night. The problem is with God, he does know everything. In fact, he does know how many hairs are upon our head. And for some, as Sarah Carroll pointed out, it's more than others. He knows everything there is to know about us. And here is Paul, who is the most zealous, passionate Jew who detests Christians with an absolute zeal. His job is to persecute Christians, to wipe out the church. He hates them with a deep passion. And Jesus appears to him, the risen Jesus, speaks out his name. He knows him. He speaks to him. And his life changes a dramatic course. And in this passage, in Acts 13, he's now been mentored by a man called Barnabas, who's a great encourager. In fact, his name means to be a son of encouragement. Takes this guy under his wing. And they begin to start planting churches, ambassadors of hope, and begin to tell a different story. And the story that Paul tells is that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who knows you. There is a God who has taken sin and shame, the things which separate from you, God, the things that you're most embarrassed about. He's taken upon himself and he was crucified. The scripture spoke of this and then on the third day he rose again. And not only is it a narrative, a different story for the Jewish people that are listening to him, it's a different story for the Greeks of the day, for the Stoics who believed in a kind of circle of life, like the Lion King. You know, this is Simba, whatever it is. The one. Is it Simba, the one to hold up? Yeah, she's nodding. Ella's nodding, yeah. It's like this circle of what happens when you die, where you kind of fall to the ground, you become part of the circle of life. It's, and, and then you've got the Epicureans who are like, well, there is nothing in the afterlife, you just die, and that's it, so live life now, party, 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 because there's nothing after this. And Paul's like, no, there is a resurrection. 
There is in this life, you may experience all the pain and the challenge of this life, but in Jesus Christ, you will live into eternity and you will live in a new Jerusalem, in a new heaven and a new earth. You will have a new body. I will have a full head of hair. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll be about six foot four and have a body like Adam Peaty. That's what I'm praying for, Jesus. We love Strictly Come Dancing in our house, just to the side. I'm a big fan of Dan Walker, okay? Sheffers, I'm praying for Dan. Come on, Jesus. My wife likes Adam Peasy. She's got a nice personality. I do, I'm, I'm smelling a rat, folks. Smelling a rat, and I'm secretly praying. There you go. So Paul speaks into this new story. A story to people, the, the Jewish people who, who never don't necessarily know that they're, they're living observing the law, am I doing enough to, to be loved by God? It was like, you're loved by God in Jesus Christ, fulfillment of the law. So the Epicureans, he's like, seriously, you're just living for yourself? You're living for now? You're just living to party? There's no tomorrow, there is a resurrection. What story are you living from? Because if we're going to be an ambassador, what's that personal story? Is there stuff in your past that you think, God, I'm not sure that you could love me. The beautiful thing about the resurrection is it ties into the truth that God will make all things new. I lived with a story that somehow God could never use me. I have a piece of paper in a frame from the University of Oxford. And it says, Thomas J. Finimore, that's me, folks, has got a postgraduate qualification. I've got a, a merit, essentially a 2-1. And I framed it. And you might think, why would you frame that? You're ponce, what are you doing that for? You're a bit up yourself. When I left school at 16, I got six Ds, two Es, and an F. Got an F for French. And in my French oral, I spoke English with a French accent. <laughs> Which, folks, I thought was a creative way of dealing with what was a fairly stressful situation. <laughs> All I remember is my French teacher, Mr. Evans, who was trying to keep his dead professional. I could just see his shoulders just go in for it as he was trying to keep a straight face. In my comprehensive school, I'm from the same place as Sam Watson. We um, went, to, obviously, not the same time because he's a little bit younger than me. Uh, but there were 12 groups, there were 12 sets, and we were uh, one out of 12, you were heading perhaps to university, 12 out of 12, you were probably heading to prison or the army, and I was in 12 out of 12. And in those days, we used to watch, a, it used to be a website called Friends Reunited. <laughs> Most of you have no idea what that is. But there was a joke by the comedian that Peter Kay said, I don't bother with Friends, Re, Re, Friends Reunited. I just watch Crime Watch. It's cheaper. It's a poor joke, folks. It's a poor joke. So I hated school. I absolutely hated it. And teachers, if you're a teacher here, praise Jesus. I'm a school governor now. Partly the reason I became a school governor is because I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to feel stupid. And you see, the thing is, what I, I believed teachers. 
I believe their words. I remember Mr. Randall, he used to smoke Hamlets because you could do that in the 90s. And I filled out a form. I said I wanted to do A-levels. And he said, Tommy, call me Tommy. God bless him. I hated it. He said, you will never do it. Who was he? And I believed him. But I sensed God calling me to do something like this. How's that going to work? You see, in the Church of England, you, they, love, they love education in the Church of England. I didn't have many C's at GCSE. To cut a very long story short, and if you stick around the church, I'll tell you this story, and you'll get bored and tired of it, no doubt. But there's something about resurrection where God changes everything. And what people say is impossible in the economy of God, nothing is impossible with him. And over the years, I've had to unlearn that story and learn a new story. That God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or all we imagine. Had to learn a story from Portet says in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in our weakness. That what looks terrible in the eyes of the world, in the economy of God, God can turn around. Had to learn the truth that you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. In Romans 12, it says we're transformed by the renewings of our mind. What story are you living with? Maybe you've bought the cultural lie, which is this, just be yourself. I've heard that adopted in the church. I think there's real wisdom in that. Is it Oscar Wilde said, be yourself because everyone else is taken? There's real wisdom and virtue in living with integrity. But it actually comes from William Shakespeare. It's not in the pages of Scripture. I don't want to be myself, more of me. I want to embrace the Holy Spirit that makes us more like Jesus. Because that's what he wants us to do. I don't want my internal desires to drive me. I want them to be replaced by the presence of the living God. What narrative is it that is driving you? Is it the words of Scripture that speak to your heart, to my heart? And as the words of Scripture penetrate our hearts, they expose the lies that have either been spoken over us or that we have believed and adopted. And as we journey with Jesus, we begin to allow his words about us, what his book says about us, begin to change us so that we begin to live out our story becomes intertwined with his story. My testimony is this. God is always good on his promises. The Lord was very gracious to me. I went to university, got a 2-2, and then at 25 discovered when I was in a Greek class in Oxford that I was dyslexic. I am dyslexic. That means part of my left brain and right brain, they don't always connect well which means for those who work with me, have no idea what we're doing most of the time. <laughs> In my head, it's all clear. That's the thing that I live with. Wish I didn't have it, 
but I do. So I trust in the story of God, in God's great economy, that he will and does use it. See, if we're going to embrace the call to the city, as ambassadors, we need to walk with confidence in our story, becoming part of his story. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Where does he want to break the lies that have become part of your story? And where does he want to reveal to you the truth of his scriptures to bring freedom?